You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. From 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 to 34. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. These are the true words of the living God. Thanks be to God. Help us to respond in faith. Thanks, Yahweh. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you today. Welcome to RHC. It's nice to have you. Today's our final sermon in the series before we start 1 Samuel next Sunday. And I hope that it's encouraging for you today. All right, let's pray. Father, we ask you to be with us as we look at your word this afternoon. And won't you strengthen us and purify us and encourage us, we ask in Jesus' name. So, I don't know if any of you have ever... Uh, discovered or know of the problem of possibly having termites in your house. I live in an HCB flat, so I don't have termites uh, boring into the concrete in my HCB flat, which is, which is good. But when I first came to Singapore, this is another story, uh, 15 years ago, someone offered me accommodation that was like a, bung, like, a, like a dormitory, wooden dormitory up in Sembawang for me and my family to stay in a long time ago. We turned it down because there were termites there. Um, but if you have termites in a wooden house, they will get into the wood and they will destroy that place very, very quickly. Now, if you want to preserve that house, what you have to do, those experts that come in and want to fix the problem have to do two things. Number one, they have to purify. They have to cleanse and get rid of all of those termites so that they will not continue to destroy Uh, what is undermining the strength of that house. And then the second thing they'll have to do is try and strengthen it, to fortify it, to try and make sure that any damage that's happened gets remade and rebuilt and reestablished. So there there are two things when when there's danger. One is cleansing and the other is strengthening. Last Sunday, we heard how the Lord's Supper is one of the means that God uses to strengthen or to build up uh, His people. We heard how it's a meal that the church takes together where we feed ourselves on Christ and are reminded of the covenant that he makes with us and we are strengthened by the gospel as we await his return. And in today's sermon, in kind of part two of this passage, we're going to see how the Lord's Supper not only strengthens us but it helps to purify and keep us clean in a sense as God's people if we take the Lord's Supper rightly. We're going to see today how Uh, this final sermon, how the Lord's Supper can help us to be clean by talking about how we're to take the Lord's Supper. And Paul needs to tell the Corinthians and us how to take the Lord's Supper because, uh, as you would have heard when it was read to us earlier, 
Paul says some, when they take the Lord's Supper, get sick and some die. In other words, we really have to be alert and careful as to how we take the Lord's Supper. There's a possibility of doing this wrongly and the consequences are very serious. It's kind of like if I like peanuts and you like peanuts, we can eat peanuts and be nourished and encouraged by them. But if someone has a peanut allergy and they have one peanut, what is a, a, a healthy snack for me can be life-threatening to someone else. And Paul is wanting us to understand what we're dealing with when we take the Lord's cup and when we take the Lord's cup, the Lord's supper. To ensure that we're edified and purified by communion, Paul is going to speak strong words to us. Paul's going to say some things, friends, that are already weighty. It reminds me of Ezekiel, where the prophet Ezekiel, where the Lord gives the prophet Ezekiel uh, a scroll to eat, his word. And when he takes the scroll to eat it, it's bitter in his mouth. It tastes bitter. Maybe some of the words that we speak today could sound a little bit bitter. But Ezekiel says as he swallows it, he finds that what was bitter in his mouth becomes sweet in his stomach. It nourishes him. It satisfies him. And we're going to see that some of God's word may seem quite striking, quite difficult for us to swallow. But God gives it to us that it may bring life to our entire beings today. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I trust that today will help you understand something that is at the heart of the Christian faith. And we're not going to try and appeal to you today by trying to make the Christian faith more palatable to you, but rather giving you real industrial strength Christianity to help you see what the heart of the faith is all about. And if this makes you feel uncomfortable, I encourage you to lean in and hear what it is that God says. There's an account in the book of Narnia in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where Susan is hearing about this Christ-like figure, Aslan. And she's heard about people speaking about Aslan, and then she discovers he's a great lion. And she hears it said, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Who, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Friends, when we come and gather and we hear God's word and we worship him, we are standing before a holy God. He is not safe, but he is good and he is for us. And so let's open our hearts to hear him today. So following verse 17 to 26 last Sunday, uh, in order to make sure that we really are nourished by the Lord's Supper and purified rather than weakened, we need to see two things from our text today. Firstly, We need to recognize the Lord's Supper confronts us with the reality of judgment. And number two, we need to receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So let's dive in. Recognize the Lord's Supper deals with the reality of judgment. Friends, have a look and see in these verses how many references there are to judgment uh, in these verses. He says, unworthy manner, guilty, without discerning, drinks judgment on himself, That's why many of you are weak and ill. Some have died. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so we may not become condemned with the world. So when you you come together, it will not be for judgment. Can you see how much judgment is in this passage? Friends, Paul is showing us that this idea of judgment is baked into the Lord's Supper. It's, It's deeply embedded in it. Now, some of us may recoil at this idea of judgment and think, We're in 2023. We're talking about judgment in 2023, really? 
Friends, judgment is something necessary and good, something we all actually acknowledge in our own lives. What do I mean? In our culture, friends, we don't like talking about judgment. It's a very bad thing to, to speak about. But does that mean the idea of judgment has left our culture entirely? No. What do we have instead of it? Cancel culture? I mean, cancel culture is not some kind of judgment? Of course it is. Kids these days talk about dropping their toxic friends. All right? No, not judging, but of course they're judging. That's exactly what's happening. All right? Or maybe as pastors, you may know that some of us talk to people who uh, are involved in self-harm. And there could be many reasons for people being involved in self-harm. But sometimes there's a kind of guilt that people feel. And inflicting pain on them is, is a way for them to try and atone themselves for their own sense of guilt and shame for things that they've done. Friends, judgment is so acutely felt by all of us. My daughter's taking PSLE now. Whatever you're going to get at the end of that, it's going to be in your sing pass for the rest of your life in Singapore. No, really, friends. I mean, how can we not measure ourselves by these things? Or maybe we think about judgment in a positive way. You know, we look and discern and try and find the best deal on a, on a flat that we want to buy or a car that we're buying or just some daily groceries. Our friends go to JB. We're like, you know, ordering from them because we're trying to save money. Or you're like, you know, you, I know every Singaporean has an inner auntie in them that's willing to drive like all the way across the country just to save one dollar on a packet of tissue paper or something like that. We, friends, we are all involved in judging all the time. But not only do we often rightly discern... But we all recognize there are times where, where judgment, friends, is needed. And particularly where we see great evil being committed against others or when we've experienced it ourselves. At the City of Light worship event last night, they took a moment to spotlight the online sexual exploitation of children. That is a massive, massive industry where children get abused on cameras for Men often paying for to watch that abuse in foreign countries over the internet. Friends, it is wicked and grievous. And when you see the extent of these kinds of things, how can we not cry out to God for justice? For God to bring judgment and to deliver those who are oppressed. Maybe you here have been cheated out of something or you've been treated oh, shamefully by, by someone else. Friends, you do rightly long for judgment and justice to be done. Friends, we recognize judgment is, is, is okay. But I think what we do recoil against often is a kind of judgment that is overly harsh or that leaves a bitter taste, that is quick to write off and dismiss people, that doesn't have any hope or a future baked into it. People are discarded. They're deemed to not be valuable you could be misunderstood, and there's no sense of a future or, or a hope. Now, the Christian faith, friends, deals with the reality of judgment in a beautiful way, but it does deal with it head on. Christianity doesn't sugarcoat the reality of this world. It tells us that God is the definition of right and wrong, that evil, every evil deed will one day be dealt with. But it deals with judgment, not in a cold and clinical and detached way, but in a way that is gracious and redemptive that actually gives sinners in this world every chance for redemption and restoration. How does this work? Friends, the Bible says God is going to hold this world to account. There is a future judgment coming. Verse 32 says, 
when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so we may not be condemned along with the world. I'll explain that verse a little bit later. But there is telling us that there is a condemnation that the world, those who are outside of God's ways and have rebelled against him, that they will face one day. Judgment is coming to this world. God is going to hold everyone and everything accountable. The Bible tells us vengeance is the Lord's. Every victim of injustice can rejoice at this, friends. This is why Christians can turn the other cheek. This is why Christians can defend other people who are suffering injustice, but for ourselves, we don't have to take revenge ourselves in every case because the Bible promises vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. That doesn't mean that you have to stay in an abusive relationship. If you're not safe, you can get out and find someone who can keep you safe. Please do that. But as a Christian, you don't have to get revenge yourself. Justice will be done one day, friends. Now, as much as we can rejoice that justice will one day be done, the Bible tells us, unfortunately, that every single one of us is unholy and has sinned against God. Every one of us are accountable to God. But this is where the hope of the gospel comes in. At the cross, because of God's love, Christ comes himself to carry upon his own body the punishment for our sins. Jesus goes to the cross, an atoning sacrifice. Penal is a penalty, substitutionary. He takes our place, atonement, to reconcile us to God. The heart of the Christian faith is that the God that we have sinned against in love comes to take the penalty of our sin himself in grace that justice can be upheld that sin can be seen as ghastly and awful and wicked and ugly but sinners who've rebelled against God have the opportunity to be brought back to God and to know him and be redeemed this is so beautiful friends on the one hand sin is shown for the horror that it is what more damning uh, statement could be made about sin than Jesus Christ himself has to suffer and die for our sins and what more loving statement could be made to all creation than that Jesus himself has come to give his life for sinners like you and I as we heard last Sunday in our passage Jesus in verse 24 of, of this passage says here is my body given for you this is what we remember this is another kind of judgment that we see in the passage jesus willingly takes on our judgment himself upon the cross now the key question the key the key question is how do we respond to this news do we acknowledge our own sins do we recognize them do we confess them do we repent of them and by faith cast them upon jesus or do we refuse to do that and say i'll just hold on to my sins and i'll deal with them and i'll face god myself in which case we will stand with the world condemned on judgment day and have to give an account for our own sins and bear in our own bodies rather than Jesus's the penalty for our rebellion against God. Friends, the way we're to respond is we're to see our sin, we're to turn to Jesus from our sins, to lay our sins upon Jesus and receive his mercy. So I want to ask you this afternoon, if you are a Christian here today, can you feel the, the weight or the sense of your sins falling off you and being placed on Jesus? 
Do you feel what it's like to be cleansed of your guilt? To have Jesus carry it all? To be strengthened because you are able to walk with your head held high? One of my favorite verses is Leviticus chapter 26 where God says, I broke the yoke that was upon your shoulders and I enabled you to stand with heads held high. Friends, some of you this afternoon may be, may be terrible sinners who are living with incredible guilt of things that you've done years and years ago. The Bible tells you that if you confess those sins to Jesus, you place your faith in Him, He wipes them away. And this afternoon, He wants to enable you to stand erect with your head held high, knowing that your sins have been forgiven and you belong to Him forevermore. Now, friends, this reality of judgment that this passage is alluding to, final judgment that's coming, uh, the fact that Jesus was judged in our place, the fact that at the table we're coming and remembering these things, is why it's a serious matter, the manner in which we come to the Lord's table. Firstly, if you're not a Christian, it's not for you to partake of the elements. We're glad that you're here. You're welcome to sing and to listen and to participate in much of what we do. But taking the sacraments is something that those who've already turned from their sins, put their faith in Jesus, do. And the reason why this is not for you is because to take the Lord's Supper is to literally celebrate in a grateful and sober way the death of Jesus. And for you to, con to celebrate the death of Jesus without having bowed your knee to him, repented of your sins, without having put your faith in him, confessing him as your Lord is highly ironic. In a sense, it would be for you to celebrate the fact that you are still under the judgment of God. You rather, friends, you, you are, sorry, acknowledging that you need judgment, but refusing to trust Jesus and be saved from that judgment. So the encouragement to you today is not to tarry as Ekyong led us as we sang earlier, but to come. Arise and come to Jesus in humility. Turn from your sins and put your faith in Him. But for Christians, we must also be discerning about how we come to the Lord's table. Verse 28 to 29 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Well, again, we'll explain these verses in a moment. But at, at a high level, we come in a discerning way. We don't like any howly come to the Lord's Supper and just, you know, take the bread and the grape juice in that way. We come celebrating Jesus' forgiving of our sins. And we can't come to the table and thank Jesus for forgiving our sins whilst we're still cherishing them and celebrating them in our heart, refusing to get rid of them. I mean, imagine when I went to my uh, Singapore citizenship ceremony. I arrive there. They're about to give me my cert, etc. But I come wearing my South African rugby jersey, speaking Afrikaans to my wife, complaining about hawker food in Singapore and being like, oh, my, my flat's terrible and just complaining about the weather. And they'd be like, what are you here for? Friends, when we come to Jesus and we take the Lord's Supper, we are thanking him that he has died for our sins, of us to hold on to them, to not turn away from them, to cling to them would be the height of irony. And this, because Jesus' death is a measure of his goodness and his kindness to us, it's not only sinning against Jesus, but sinning against the goodness of Jesus toward us. So, what happens if we do come to the Lord's Supper 
And we're still harboring or cherishing sin in our hearts and not willing to turn from it. The passage tells us that our Lord, who is a gracious Father, will redemptively discipline us. Redemptively discipline us. Now, it's a little bit confusing, but there's a number of judgments that are happening in this passage. Let me just give you a quick overview of them, all right? I could only really do it at this point in the sermon. Number one, there's the judgment where we're condemned with the world. The final judgment, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christians are spared from that because we see in the passage, it's alluded to the fact that Jesus took on our judgment. This is my body given for you. We also see that there is another kind of judgment here that is not the final judgment, but a kind of um, interim testing of the Lord to uh, make us aware of our faults so that we turn to him fully. He says in verse uh, 32, when we're judged by the Lord, and he's talking about now at the Lord's Supper because the context is some are falling ill. So he's not talking about the final judgment, but he's saying right now, when we're judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so we may not be condemned along with the world. In other words, I know it's confusing because there's so many judgments here, but that judgment at the beginning of that passage is the equivalent of being disciplined by the Lord, which is in order that we can be spared from the final judgment one day before Jesus. Now, friends, I know that around the world there are many bad examples of fathers who discipline their children in unhelpful and ungodly ways. But the Bible shows us that God is a good father who so loves us that he is willing to discipline us in order that we may be spared from pain and adversity in the future. And sometimes that discipline is unpleasant in the short term. If you're a three-year-old child and you're walking along the street and you see a cute dog on the other side of the road and you want to run and pet the dog and you jump into the road to get the dog and your father sees a car coming, your father is going to run out and grab you by the arms and yank you back and you're probably going to be, you know, like wrangling him in the air going, why are you holding me so tight? Why are you hurting me? Why do you hate me so much? You're such a terrible father without realizing he just saved your life. He hasn't intended to cause you any harm but is saving you from, from real judgment, real death to come. And the Bible says, we don't talk about this often, but Hebrews chapter 12, God is a loving father who disciplines us, but when he does so, it's for redemptive purposes. Look here, when we're judged by the Lord here now, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. The whole heart of God is, how can I spare my children from pain and adversity? And therefore, let me rescue them from some of the folly that they're in. And therefore, we sometimes experience short-term discipline from the Lord to bring us to our senses, not out of vindictiveness. It's not punishment. It's not, you did this to me, I'll do that to you. No, it's the heart of a father saying, I want to spare you from, from pain and adversity. So let me get your attention and bring you back to me again. Now, we can't go into this in a lot of detail this, this afternoon because of time. But I checked this week, and about 10 years ago at RHC, there was a sermon preached on the discipline of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 12. You can find it online. Don't look, up, don't look it up now. I didn't listen to that sermon again, so I hope it's all okay. But uh, I do remember that from 10 years ago. And that will tease out this whole, we'll double click on this in a lot more detail. But friends, what I want us to see here is this idea of judgment is worked in here. And our Father will, if we come in an unworthy manner, will, will get our attention back to him. 
so that we can be strengthened by Christ and not weakened as we live hypocritical lives. So the question then is, how do we come to the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner? And this is our second point. Receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. Now, friends, what does it mean to be unworthy? There is a sense in which there is no worthy person in this ballroom here this afternoon. There is no worthy person. There is nobody in our church that has not sinned this week. Nobody. All the services from this morning. Nobody. Nobody who's not sinned this week. And that's if you consider the week starting on Sunday. Friends, the Bible says we sin by what we do, by what we don't do. We sin even in our good things that we do for the wrong motives. Sin pervades us in multiple levels. Now, it's true that Christians have the Spirit of God living at work in us. We are not um, bound by sin. We're not enslaved to sin. But for many of us, it takes a long time to work that out of our systems. And it goes a lot deeper than we recognize and realize. But I want you to notice here, Paul does not say that we cannot take the Lord's Supper if you're an unworthy person. Paul says you cannot take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Because there is no worthy person. We are all sinners. Paul is referring here, friends, to an attitude of heart with which we come to the Lord's Supper. And therefore, his solution is not for us to come to the table in a perfect way, but in verse 31, if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. What does he mean by this? Paul's saying if we discern our own sin, we recognize our sin. We can bring it to Jesus at the table. We can confess it to him. We can come in humility, recognizing we're sinners. This is the the, the worthy manner in which we come. Not claiming to be righteous, repenting of our sins, confessing them to Jesus, laying them upon him. This is what it means to come in a worthy manner. What is the way that we do so? Verse 27 to 29, there are a couple of key phrases. He says in verse 28, let a person examine himself. So there's some kind of introspection that we need to have and then he explains what this looks like by saying anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body so part of the examination is about us discerning the body of jesus what does that mean we'll see in a moment and he says these people then are guilty concerning the body and the blood of the lord there are at least two things in view here these are our two points that we will wrap up with today Two things that we need to do to come in a worthy manner. Firstly, we need to examine our personal holiness because we are the body of Christ. And secondly, we need to examine our personal relationships with those in our body. So let's look at the first one. Examine our personal holiness because we are the body. So verse 28 again. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Friends, part of this examination is of our own relationship with sin generally. Earlier we saw how to come unrepentant to the Lord's table is to abuse Christ, to sin against his goodness to us. And this means, very simply, we are to come to the Lord's table examining whether or not we are coming to Christ in repentance and faith. It's as simple as that. Do we come humbly in repentance and faith to Jesus? Friends, this does not mean that you cannot come to the Lord's Supper if you've sinned this week. It doesn't mean that. Because then nobody 
could come to the Lord's Supper. Remember, the whole point of coming to the table is that we remember at the table, Jesus is spreading a feast for sinners. And part of that feast is his provision for our sin, his own body that was broken for our sin and his blood that was shed for it. So coming to the Lord's Supper is us coming, recognizing we are sinners, but Jesus has made a way for our sin. So if you're a sinner, you're welcome. The table is for you, absolutely. There are some people who can mistake a message like this and think, wow, the bar's really high for attending the Lord's Supper, and therefore I've got to really make sure, man, I know. You know, at RHC we take the Lord's Supper typically the first Sunday of the month and the third Sunday of the month. So it's like those weeks, man, I better not do anything bad, better not be angry with people, don't look at anything dodgy, don't have any bad thoughts in my mind, I'm going to come as pure as possible to church. Now, friends, if that's how you think about it, I want to help you recognize what's happening in your heart is you're thinking that somehow you come to the Lord's table in your own worthiness. That if you've proved that you haven't sinned much and you've had a a good streak of whatever, three days, one week or something, you're now worthy to come to the Lord's table. And you don't realize Paul says you must come in a worthy manner, not as a worthy person. And you, what can end up happening is you end up thinking you have to clean up your own life, deal with your own sin, make yourself righteous yourself, and then when you're acceptable, then you can come to Jesus. Friends, that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is we recognize we are sinners and that Jesus welcomes sinners, and we come humbly confessing our sins to Jesus, who knows them better than we know them because he died for them and carried them upon himself. So, I'm making the distinction here. Of course, I'm not saying we don't just like sin like mad before communion because Jesus died for sinners. No, Paul will say in Romans 6, how will we who died to sin continue to live in it? No. But we don't come thinking that our abstinence of sin is somehow earning us credit that makes us more worthy to come. No, friends, we hate sin. We hate sin. Jesus died for it. But when we recognize our sin, we come and confess it humbly to him. Now, some people here may think, well, look, Simon, I understand that you, you say that Jesus is merciful, but you don't realize my sin is I have these, these sins that I commit again and again and again and again. So I tell God I won't do it again. I say I'm, I apologize, I repent, and then I fall again. Will Jesus forgive me again? And, you know, the disciples once asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? And some of the disciples were like, we know Jesus is kind, so let's like, let's give him like a really large number. Shall I forgive him seven times? And Jesus is like, no, 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 70 times, seven times. Like take what you think and then just multiply by like multiples. Friends, how much more in the heart of God toward you and I is there not an endless stream of grace for those who sin and repent and come back to God and then fall into sin again in weakness and then genuinely repent again and come back to Him, He will never cast you out. Now, there could be a place for you to explore how genuine is my repentance, how deep is it, am I repenting deeply and properly? Those are things that you could process with a pastor or someone else would encourage you to do that. But don't think that if you come with a repentant heart to the Lord that He will cast you out. He, he will not. He will not, friends. It's rather when we're not fighting against sin, when we're holding on to it, we're not willing to let it go. That's the wrong attitude. When we say, 
Jesus, you can have me, but like not this part of me. There's an attitude of heart that is wrong to approach the table and an attitude that says, I don't really care about my sin. Friends, this is not the same as being weak in our sins, weak and and falling into sin again and again. This is being indifferent toward our sins. And if you're weak here today, I want to urge you to allow the elements to strengthen your fight against sin. I've been a pastor for 15 years. Friends, I've been through good seasons. I've been through bad seasons. I've been through times where I've been far more severely tempted in certain areas in my life. And through some of those seasons, I've had to try and fight my sin with confession and assurance at church week in and week out, with the Lord's Supper. I take those elements. Jesus, thank you that I hold here the bread. Jesus, your body was broken for this sin that I'm tempted to. Jesus, help me to see the horror of this sin. Help me to see how tragic it is that you suffered and died for this sin that I'm tempted to. And this sin that I keep thinking, my life will be better if I give in to this sin. Jesus, I'm so stupid. Lord, as I hold these elements, help me to see that you are broken for for this temptation and this sin that I give in to. Help me to hate it. Help me to detest it. Father, as I take this, this, this juice, help me to remember that though I do sin, I cannot be separated from your love. And help me, Lord, to experience the sweetness of that love now. As I eat these elements, as I drink them, help me to know that you, Jesus, are better than all the promises that my sin makes to me. Friends, can we use the Lord's Supper to help us fight against our sins? So friends, I say seriously, if there are willful areas of sin in your own life, sinful relationships, living a lie, cheating someone, greed, friends, you must do business with your sin. You you, you must. You you do not come in an unworthy manner. Another example is, you know, some churches actually don't allow people to take the Lord's Supper unless they've been baptized. And uh, they say this because baptism is a command that Jesus actually gives us. So if you haven't been baptized, you actually are in disobedience to Jesus. And as Ek- I'm not going to rehash Ekyong's sermon from a few weeks ago, but he did speak about how baptism is one of the ways that we, it's a sacrament that shows our entry into the church and into the people of God. Communion is the sacrament by which we continually feast and live upon Jesus as the people of God together. Now, we don't, as a church, have strict rules to say you have to be baptized before, uh, because sometimes there's a time lag between when people come to faith and the baptism can only be scheduled a little bit later. I mean, all those things are understandable, but the principle is still fairly sound, that if you have not been baptized, friends, um, and you refuse to because you don't really want to make that commitment to Jesus or you're embarrassed or for any other pastoral reason like that, uh, we would urge you to really think about that very seriously because refusal to do that would be one indication um, that you're not living in full obedience to Jesus. Now, I don't say this here this afternoon to give anyone a hard time in particular, but rather to say that we want the Word of God to shine a light on our lives and our practice. And if anything I've said this afternoon, whether it's sins that maybe you wrestle with and you're thinking, am I really repenting of this and fighting this, or am I just giving into it, or maybe it's something like baptism, I would encourage you to not just work through this by yourself, but come and speak to one of the pastors. We would love to be able to talk with you. And, and help pastor you through some of these things. In a similar way, there are some very rare times in the life of a church where 
leaders of the church are walking with someone who may find themselves so steeped in a pattern of self-deception over a long period of time that when they come to their senses, they may say, yes, I'm repentant, but there's been such a sense of a long history of deception that it may be necessary to say, let's take some time before you just rush back to the Lord's Supper to walk with you and help you really discern and try and find truth at the bottom of your own heart that has been clouded over months, maybe years of self-deception. Friends, this happens sometimes in a public way that we talk about it. That's very rare. Sometimes it happens privately as we just walk alongside people in the life of the church. The goal, friends, is that we would help us as a body together walk faithfully before Jesus and see how seriously we can take the Lord's Supper and allow the Lord's Supper to do its work in us of both purifying us and strengthening us at the same time. Friends, this is just one simple example of how the church together helps us follow Jesus faithfully together. And finally, this afternoon, we're not just called to examine our personal holiness because we are the body, but we are to examine our personal relationships with those in our body. Verse 28 asks us to examine ourselves. Examine ourselves. It's not going to be up on the slide. But then, in verse 29, he seems to double-click on what examining ourselves look like. I've already said it obviously includes our uh, relationship to sin individually. But there's a corporate uh, application to this. And in some ways, I, I, I'm finishing with this because I think the corporate act, uh, application is in some ways actually the, the major point that Paul's making here. In verse 28, he says, Let a person examine himself, then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, 4... Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul says we must examine ourselves in order that we are rightly discerning the body. And the question is, what body is he talking about? The body of Jesus? We're sinning against Jesus or we're sinning against the church? Well, I think both are in view. We certainly shouldn't take the Lord's Supper while you're sinning against the body of Jesus. I've just explained that. That's why we must examine ourselves for personal holiness and the attitude with which we come to the Lord's Supper, but I think he certainly has in view the corporate body of the church because, remember last Sunday, the sin that he was challenging them for was neglecting the body and rushing ahead and eating by themselves. And in fact, in verse 33, when he concludes this section, what does he say? So my brothers, when you come together, wait for each other. Paul's talking about the very practical courtesies and consideration of the body of Christ here because of how closely Jesus identifies with his body, the church. So there are two ways that we must discern the body. We must discern, are there sins of commission, things that we're actively doing between us and members of the body, and are there sins of omission, where we have failed to do things that we're supposed to do to the body? Sins of commission. Friends, this would be things like in the church, there's unresolved conflict, there's lingering resentment, between two people in a CG or across CGs because you're not in the same CG anymore because you couldn't stand them anymore so you left under the guise of work commitments to go to another CG. Or maybe there's bitterness about a conflict you had with someone a long time ago or unforgiveness for a very unkind thing that somebody said to you. Friends, this is exactly what Paul has in view here. This practically means we may need to go to someone and ask for their forgiveness 
if we've sinned against them. If I, they, you sinned against someone and they know that you've sinned against them, you don't ask someone forgiveness for every time you thought something bad about them, but you never actually told them. Like, I think you're a rotten person, but you never verbalize that. You don't have to go and be like, you know, the last year I've been thinking you're such a rotten, horrible person. There's some things you just deal with between your, your, yourself and the Lord. You don't have to verbalize those, right? But if that person knows, because you like give them the side eye and you like shut the lift, you know, as they're coming up, um, then you may need to say, you know, you've probably noticed I've, you know, this is what's been going on. All right. And forgiveness. We, we may need to go and put things right with people, friends. Matthew 18, oh, I'll get to that in a moment. You know, friends, in some older churches, there can be very complicated relationships, very complicated relationships, bad blood, unresolved issues. It's like, I remember when you did that to me back in 1977. And friends, I'm telling you, these churches exist all, all around the world. They exist here in Singapore. I'm, I know that for a fact. It gets so messy, friends. Now, it's very easy for us who are also young to judge them, right? Be like, wow, how can you be like that? But you know how churches become like that? You know how? Churches become like that, friends, one small unresolved issue at a time. That's it. The kind of issues we have with one another when we just irritate one another and then they just slowly spiral and then they get bigger and then you don't talk to that person for a long time then there's vibes, then you misread other things that they do. The next thing, it's like RHC's a relational disaster. Friends, you know what? We could look at other churches and say, how could you be that way? Maybe we just aren't that way because we're not 45 years old. And when our church is 50 years old, we'll be full of those issues. But there is a way for us to not become like that. And do you know what that way is? To take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. <laughs> to discern the body every time we come together. Is there anyone here that I've got unresolved issues with? Who do I need to ask forgiveness of? Who do I know is upset with me? The amazing thing about the Bible, friends, when it comes to relational reconciliation, is Scripture shows us that we are responsible for resolving relational brokenness if someone has sinned against us or even if we just know that somebody is upset with us, even if we think we didn't do anything wrong. So Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. There, if someone sins against you, you be the big person and say, hey, graciously, this is what happened. Can we reconcile so that you've won your brother? But Matthew 6 says, if you're, coming, if you're offering your, your, your gift at the altar in church, if you're worshiping God, and you remember that someone in the church has something against you, they're offended with you for some reason, even if you think you're innocent, it says, leave your gift at the altar First go be, and be reconciled to your brother and then come back and worship God. In other words, friends, God gets us from every angle. If we're aware of any relational brokenness, we should always take the initiative humbly to put that right. Friends, imagine we did this every time before the Lord's Supper. And we can do this, friends, because when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are remembering God who's taken the first step to reconcile with us graciously pointing out our faults, covering our sin and shame, and we can do the same to others. Friends, can you see how this would cleanse the church? Make us purer? Just breathe like fresh air, be like an air purifier that just runs through RHC every two weeks? 
All the relationships resolved, sorted out, no hostility. I mean, can you imagine being a church that actually believed the Bible and lived this out? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be incredible? You know what? We can be that way. We can. We're being invited into it. And secondly, friends, are there sins of omission between us and members of the body? Now, I don't want to put, uh, I don't want to guilt anyone and manipulate anyone here. This is harder to navigate. I'm not saying that if there's anyone hungry at RHC that you don't know about, you shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. But I do want us to think about this category, sins of omission. Because this works out in far less dramatic ways. Friends, are there members here in our church in need whilst we're in plenty? Are there people in financial lack? Are some people relationally lonely? And we don't care about them or invite them to our family or have them over. I want us to particularly think about people in different life stages to us, different ages to us. Maybe young singles or far older folks. Are there ways that we're neglecting, not caring about our fellow church members? Remember what happened, what we saw last week. People are rushing ahead, eating their own meals, not caring about others who are hungry and being neglected in the Lord's Supper. That's what Paul has in view. In other words, when we take the supper, are we looking around us and saying, is this body whole? Are we caring for one another? One way that we care for one another is come to church regularly. We gather, we meet one another. We don't just say, ah, oh, twice a month is okay. We, we gather with God's people. We build relationships. We talk in the lift queues and we love people that way. And friends, the gospel shows us Jesus taking care of our needs. So we become a church that is shaped by that, proactively looking out for the needs of others, just as Jesus has done for us. This means before we take the elements, we can ask ourselves, am I honoring Christ's body that I've been put into? Who may I need to apologize to? Can we see how this would strengthen and cleanse us every um, Sunday, every two weeks as, as we take this? In conclusion, friends, we avoid judgment by waiting for others and looking at the body that's physically present. This is not just our internal heart relationship toward Christ and his people, but actually looking around practically to those we're with. Who's in need? Everyone here okay? How I love and serve them in the way that Christ has served me. Friends, there's so much judgment in this passage. We stand guilty before God. But Jesus come to carry it. We, we remember that reality of judgment every two weeks when we take the Lord's Supper. Jesus inviting us to judge ourselves, to discern ourselves, to bring our sins and lay them before him so that he doesn't have to discipline us. So we will not be condemned with the world, but we will be in Christ and in his body and love one another in this way. Friends, God wants to strengthen you individually and all of us together by purifying us. So let us come to the Lord's Supper let us come to Christ, not as worthy people, but in a worthy manner, with humility, with confession, with love for one another, and with deep gospel hope. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father, we pray that you would work in us today to see the industrial grade strength of the Christian faith, judgment for sinners, mercy for sinners all found in Christ and we thank you that it is through his body that we have been reconciled to our father in heaven and to one another 
Help us then as we receive the Lord's Supper to do so in a worthy manner. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.